They love y'all. So you need to know that. This has been, this has been kind of a, a weird time. Yeah, 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 yeah. We love you guys. I know you're watching. Uh, we miss you. I miss you because this is not what I'm comfortable doing most of the time. <laughs> Uh, but I do want to say that we, we operate, uh, so we did not plan this, we did not plan ahead to know how to handle a church during a pandemic. I'll be honest with y'all there. I think y'all probably know that. But we do believe that the biblical model is a team of people. And so I want to, to say that, that, that man, uh, during all of this, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants sometimes. And our number one mission is always uh, for your spiritual health. We want you to be in relationship with Christ. So we want you to come here not out of obligation or not out of, I think I need to come to church, but we want you to come here in order to know the Lord more, to know the Lord deeper. And we also care about your physical health, but during this time, it's kind of heightened a little bit more than normal. And so like Jasper said, his quarantine was actually up yesterday, uh, just out of an abundance of caution. We're like, you know what? Just stay home because we wanna do our part to help keep everybody as safe as possible. But with that, I just want to confess, man, we make the best decisions that we know how to make. And so um, we're just in it with, with everybody else, trying to love the Lord, trying to stay as safe as we can, but knowing that the gospel must go on, right? So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, this is going to be an interesting uh, morning for me. And I'll tell you why. So we're starting back our series, The Big Picture. If you were here before Christmas, we were in The Big Picture. And, and, uh, and we kind of took a break, done the Advent series, and then the start of the year we did um, spiritual habits. Now we're going back into the big picture. And so the overarching theme of this is when we take the Bible, this, this great big book as a whole, um, what, is it, what is it saying kind of from front to cover? And so we're not going through every single story. I mean, that would be a lot, but we're hitting a lot of uh, points to kind of show that the big picture of the Bible is... Uh, it, it, it points to Jesus for the redemption of, of His people. And Kyle puts it this way. I really like it. He says it's, it's God's people enjoying God's presence within God's place for God's purpose. So it's God's redemption story for us as humanity. And I always liked it when I heard that the, the New Testament is the uh, Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So they kind of have to work together to understand both parts if that makes sense. So when I found out that I, would be, that I would be preaching again this week, I was like, oh, brother, okay. So I talked to Kyle, and he said, man, you can talk about whatever you want. You know, I, we, don't, we, don't plan, we don't plan for me to get up here very often. And he was like, so you, if you've got a topic or you've got something you want to talk about, you can do that. And I normally just like to stay in whatever series we're in. It, somebody tells me what to talk about, that, that helps me. And I was like, man, just, just whatever series we're in. He's like, okay, we're starting the big picture. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, last week was in Ephesians. I can handle that. I was like, all right, where are we at this week? And he was like, we're in Matthew 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 1. I said, okay, Matthew 1. And I'm thinking, okay, probably the birth of Jesus. You know, where, where, are we, where are we getting? He was like, 1 through 17. I was like, okay, 1 through 17. That's just a bunch of names. <laughs> so if you read Matthew 1 through 17, which we will in a minute, it is the genealogy of Jesus. And I thought, oh, man. What am I going to talk about with the genealogy of Jesus? It's very important, but what am I going to say about this stuff? So bear with me. We are going to try to make this work, okay? Uh, but so to recap, this helps my brain. Uh, we're going to recap a little bit of, of what the Old Testament is as far as the Old Testament being the New Testament concealed. 
And so I hope that this morning, uh, little things in your brain kind of start to click and you get a little bit more curious about some of this genealogy and that some of the things I say help you see the Lord just a little clearer, okay? So what I mean by the New Testament concealed is that it is pointing to the Messiah. It's the stories of God proclaiming, promising that He will send the Savior to the world. Um, we see this starting back in Genesis. We see this really clear in, in Isaiah 53 where it says He was pierced for our transgressions. He was rejected. He was led to the slaughter. He bore the sin of many. So you get a lot of these glimpses in the Old Testament of the coming Savior. And in Matthew, when we start Matthew, we actually get to see that promise finally fulfilled. So this waiting period that's been the Old Testament is finally here. We have the birth of Jesus. But before we get to that, there's a couple things uh, to note. So uh, the gospel, uh, there's four different gospels that the New Testament starts with. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the rest of the New Testament is, is really instruction to us. Uh, for the most part. I mean, so you have the acts of, of the, so what the uh, disciples did, and then you have a lot of instruction. Paul writes different instruction letters, but the Gospels are for us to start seeing Christ. So they're kind of the story of Christ. And then after the Gospels, it, it talks about how we can apply the things that Christ came and, and what it means to us. But most of the Gospels are just pointing to the things that Jesus did, and we get teaching in it, but it's really revealing Jesus to us. But they're very different, so all four Gospels are different. Um, Mark is wrote largely to an, a non-Jewish audience, so they're unfamiliar with a lot of Jewish customs for the most part. Luke is a physician, so he writes very detailed um, of the things that happen. John is like 92% different than I think the other, the other three, so it, it, ha it focuses on, on Jesus being the Son of God. But the book of Matthew... And this is important because of how he starts. So the book of Matthew is written, written to a very Jewish audience. So he is writing to them because they know the Old Testament very well. And he is writing, and he's starting with the genealogy, to show and to prove that Christ is the one that they're waiting for. Does that kind of make sense? Uh, I, so I think that's important to know because if, if you're like me, you get to your Bible reading and you get Matthew 1 and you go, no, 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 no. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place. Because it's a bunch of names and I'm going to try to pronounce them in a second because I can't not read Scripture while we're together. But it's important to know that. Uh, and so the last thing I'll, see, uh, I'll say and then we're going to read in Matthew is that uh, Matthew points to a very unlikely hero from what they were expecting. And I, uh, I got to tell one other quick story before I get too sidetracked. Um, today's Super Bowl Sunday. Any sports fans at all? Anybody? Yeah? I was until last week when my Packers got beat by Tom Brady. That dude. I don't like If you don't know Tom Brady, I'm going to give you a couple quick facts about him. He's a goon. He's not a goon. He's a good guy, probably. Uh, he was drafted 199th in the sixth round in 1999. Uh, that's a long time ago. That's far down the list. If you don't know sports, that's not a, a prospect. It's not somebody you would expect to be doing what he's doing. He's the only active remaining player in the entire draft class of 2000, or in his entire draft class as of 2021. So he's the only one that was drafted back in 1999 that's still going. Uh, he is going tonight to his 10th Super Bowl. That, that is incredible. 
Uh, his first Super Bowl was in 2001, which was, what, 20 years ago? He's won six of them, so his record is 6-3. and three. He has the most Super Bowl wins in history, and he has went from... This will make sense in a second, hopefully. He has went from one of the best teams that is always in the Super Bowl to going to the worst team, one of the worst teams this year, and still taking them to the championship. I mean, this is something that doesn't happen. This is greatness in the making. So I think I have to root for him because this is, this is absolute greatness. Like We've never seen a player like this. But I say that because most people don't like him. <laughs> most people want him to lose. He beat my, my Packers last week, and I'm like, yeah, I just called the guy a goon. He's probably the greatest football player in history. I call him a goon. But I say that is because it is hard for us to see things happening right in front of our face sometimes. So if you're in home groups, we do things called win stories for that very reason, is that sometimes we can go through our entire week and not notice the things that the Lord is doing right now. You ever felt like that? Anybody ever ask you what the Lord's done and you go, uh, I don't know. So this is what's happening at the start of Matthew. So I'm trying to tie that in there. That, my brain helps that. Is that they had been waiting for this greatness, this hero, and when he finally comes, it's not what they wanted, it's not what they expected at all. So I'm going to read Matthew 1 through 17. Please follow along. You may have to help me read some words. And then we're going we're gonna to get into this and hopefully you can, you can learn something today. Okay, Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, and Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amenadab, thank you, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Simon, Simon, the father of Boaz and Rahab, and Boaz, the father of uh, Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King, of David the king. Third way through. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Some of these names you may recognize. And Solomon, the father of uh, Rehoban. Rehoban, the father of Abihah. I don't know how to say some of these. I'm sorry. Abihah, the father of Asaph. And I even practiced this. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerum. And Jerum, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jahim. And Jahim, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jenekiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah and the father of Shiltiel, that one's a hard one, the father of Zabudel, I feel like now I'm just making fun of it, I'm not trying to, Zabudel, the father of Abdul. <laughs> the father of Elikim, and Elikim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mahan, and Mahan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. There's seven... Like the most pity clap I've ever heard. 
It's like, ah, he tried. He shouldn't have, but he tried anyway. <laughs> I can read this last sentence, so check this out. 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Okay, let's pray and let's try to make sense of some of that, but we can't get together and me not read the Word, even though pretty embarrassing. Uh, Father, we love you. Thank you for allowing laughter. Um, but God, give us understanding. I ask that as, as I do my best to kind of point out some things here, Lord, that, that you teach us and that you help us see you clear in all that we do. May you give us a desire to, to seek you and follow you even deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, I told you when I when I read this, I said, I've got to preach through this. I can barely say the word Ephesians with let alone all of this stuff. So let's go back to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and there's about a 400 year period um, known as the intertestamental period, or uh, a lot of people will call it 400 years of silence, basically from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now it's not complete silence. We just don't have any uh, canon. That, that we say is, is part of our Bible. I mean, there, there were, there were uh, all kinds of books written during some of this time that, that shows that, that the Lord is still kind of leading His people. Um, First and Second Maccabees, which are not a book in our Bible, but there are some historical things that happened during this time. So I do want to say that it's not like the Lord completely abandons His people, but there is a gap that we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But during this gap, some things happened. So Alexander the Great, who you may remember from history, I do very little, uh, was part of that time. He dominated and assimilated the Greek culture. And because of this, we get a lot of the Old Testament actually translated from Hebrew to Greek. So during that time, things like this happened. Uh, uh, some of his wars that he kind of helped spark helped create a world that allowed the gospel to spread. So people kind of got moved out and, and the gospel was now translated into more of a universal language that, that people knew and people were started reading the Old Testament. Um, so not, not a great thing, I guess, with wars, but that's some of the stuff that kind of happened that's setting the stage for where Matthew's going with this. There's a book by Larry Osborne called Accidental Pharisees that I really like. Because that's kind of where we see the Pharisees starting in Matthew. Or these are people that from the Old Testament all the way to Matthew are desiring to follow the Lord. That's kind of their desire. They want to keep the, the, the law. They want to keep the commandments. Um, but over time, their traditions kind of turn into more important than God's commandments. And that happens even today. You've probably heard uh, stories of churches splitting over carpet or, or, or splitting over, you know, we, we've, we haven't always done things that way. And so sometimes, even, even in our day today, we can become accidental Pharisees. And what I mean by that is we can be trying to follow things that we think are good, but really they're just traditions and they're not commandments. So that kind of sets the stage for where the world is at when Matthew is, or when Jesus is born, what Matthew's addressing here. Um, so it's important for him to start by showing that the Messiah, that Christ, that was born, is the one from the royal lineage of, of David. He is writing to a very distinctive Jewish audience that know the Old Testament very well, and he wants to prove that Jesus fits that description. 
And he wants to show how. So there's a couple things worth noting there in, in Matthew. Um, his genealogy is very different from Luke's genealogy. Um, and I don't want, if you ever see that, don't get too, too caught up on that because Luke was very detail-oriented. Matthew was writing for a sole purpose to show how Jesus came to be here. So there's a couple things that I just have to point out is that Matthew is connecting the dots that the people have been searching for. If that makes sense. So they're waiting for this Messiah. Matthew's connecting these dots. And he lists them in 14 generations each. Now, this is not every single generation. He purposely omits some different kings. But this was common in, in their culture. They did this a lot. Sometimes they would do that for memorization, or sometimes they would do it for kind of symbolic, because again, he's trying to connect the dots to show that Christ came from these people, but it's not exactly always in order, if that makes sense. So Luke's is a little different. Um, historians can say that. This, this is not some just big error. He's purposely putting these in 14 so that they can help connect the dots that Christ is who he said he is. And so he lists them, 14 generations, Abraham to David, David, David uh, to Jeconiah, Jeconiah to Joseph. And genealogies were very important to the Jewish people. And one thing that they noticed was that this was not the genealogy they expected. So they thought that Jesus would come and just almost like a, a victorious king, right? You might have heard that before. So they thought he would come and he would just save his people and completely abolish all of the wrongdoings in the world. But instead, what we see is we see that he comes from people that are very much like me and you. And what I mean by that is broken, broken people that are not part of this royal lineage that are not these perfect people that, that the Messiah comes from, that He actually comes from the lineage just as described in the Old Testament. So Abraham, he was a patriarch. Father Abraham, anybody remember that song? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father Abraham. Start kicking. It's a good song. But he had, he had quite, a, quite a story there with him though. I mean, this is a guy that, that, that laughs at God. He, this is a guy that that is, that is light. I mean, Jacob going down it, he, he took his birthright you know, away from his, his brother. He ends up tricking his father. He wrestles with God. King David is a guy that does a lot of bad things, um, but is also known as a man after God's own heart. But this is a guy that sees uh, Bathsheba on a roof, and he wants her so bad that he uh, orders her husband to go to the front lines and basically has him murdered. These are not good things at all. Um, and the list goes on and on, and then we get all the way to, to, to Joseph when we finally see Christ. And so Matthew is he's, he's pointing out that Christ came by way of all of us, for all of us. He even includes some, some women in here, and most genealogies were kind of men-driven, so they would, they would go by the, the man. So he includes four different women that I think is very interesting. Tamar, which there's a crazy story in the Old Testament about, uh, about Tamar. Uh, Rahab, who was not Jewish, by the way. Uh, she was actually a, a Canaanite uh, and was a harlot, like a prostitute, uh, and is kind of best known for lying, <laughs> uh, is, is where Rahab comes from. She's in this lineage. Uh, Ruth 
who was, was also not, a, uh, not Jewish, it was a faithful Gentile, got her own uh, book that we have here in the Old Testament. And then Bathsheba, which is not even named here in verse uh, 6, it just says by the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba was, we know, was a Hittite. Um, Matthew points out all of this stuff and includes those things so that they know that Christ has come to save. And I think that's fascinating. And I hope you think it's kind of fascinating. When I first read it, I said, man, what do I do? I go through every one of these people and try to describe their backstories. And I said, I can't do that. So that's, that's kind of where Matthew is, is wanting. He wants his readers to understand that God is and has been using all kinds of people to move his plan forward. He wants them and us to understand that the one they have been waiting for, this Messiah, is Jesus. He is the one the prophets wrote about. Jesus is the one the psalmist sang about. Uh, he is the one true king and the only one that can bring about salvation. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And at the very end of Matthew, this is kind of neat, um, the very end of the last thing that, 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 that Matthew records is really Jesus saying uh, the Great Commission, go therefore, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And he says, and I will be with you to the end of, of all age. So Matthew is, is writing this narrative from start to finish that is showing that Jesus uh, is God with us. He has been from the very beginning and even up until the very last where Jesus proclaims himself, I will be with you. So that's the narrative, the whole narrative that Matthew is painting here. Um, as the book continues, we see Christ is one greater than Moses. So Matthew makes a lot of uh, different, different comparisons that kind of bring out the Old Testament and show that, that, that Christ is the one that fulfills these things that Moses had started as, as one of the prophets and that he intentionally leaks these things together so that he can make an incredibly strong case for Christ. So he says all of that, and then in verse 18, he begins, Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. And so we'll, we'll get into that in, in weeks to come. But the genealogy is very important for us to understand as a theological statement, not just a list of names. Because without being able to trace it back, we can't connect that the old covenant is fulfilled in Christ. And this is a lot for my brain to take in, so I'm hoping some of this makes sense to y'all. I'm not the guy qualified to talk about a lot of this stuff, but it's very fascinating. It's very interesting to me. Um, and so I want to say this. I want you to know, and we talked about it last week, that the Lord desires you. It's like He cares for you. The genealogy kind of proves that. He uses you to help move his plan forward he desires to use you to help move his plan forward whatever your story is you need to know that you're loved and that you're desired and that your story has a place in the lord's plan and that no matter where your story is now there's always redemption so some of these some of these stories of these people are not always great but God uses them to move His plan forward and to say, I'm greater. I am more faithful. 
I'm good. And so I hope that encourages you. God's been using all types of people for His glory. He knows you. He knows your story. And He's inviting you to join in it this morning. I don't know what your family history is like. I don't know really what a lot of mine is other than maybe a couple generations. Uh, But if you do know, think of maybe where you've come from real quick. And then try to think of where you want your legacy to go. Okay? That was kind of weird. And that know that none of it matters without Christ. It doesn't. Christ fulfills His promise for salvation. Without Him, none of the genealogy would matter. It would just be a big, it would literally just be a list of names that you could just skip over. But because it's important, Christ fulfills it and He connects these two dots. And from here on, we're going to see that the birth of Christ, um, I don't even know what else to say about it. Without that, I mean, there's no point in us, in, us, in us gathering. So we can sing because He's alive. We can sing because the Savior came. We can rejoice because we can uh, stand in His goodness and in His redemption. I'm going to ask uh, Mitchell to come back up. And we're going to sing a song called Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I chose this song at the end because I kind of struggled with talking through some of this. You may have noticed. It was tough for me to wrap my brain around. So my prayer is that the Lord is faithful. And praise God it doesn't depend on me and my knowledge. Praise God it doesn't depend on just you and your knowledge. That we get to work through some of these things together. And that at the end of the day we get to say He is faithful to see me through wherever I'm at. He's faithful to carry me through. He's faithful to fulfill what He promised long ago, starting back in Genesis. He started the covenant with Abraham. And through this genealogy, we can see that He is going to fulfill it. And as we continue this big picture, we will see the fulfillment of what Christ came, that He came to save us, He came to glorify His Father, and that He is trustworthy and good and true. And so I rest in that today. I hope you do too. I pray that the Lord's Word uh, is received. And if nothing else, that you get curious about digging into it a little bit more maybe than I can sure explain. And that out of this, we help see Jesus a little bit better, a little bit more clear. So I want to ask you to stand. We're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, because I know that He is faithful and good. And I ask you to worship with me um, as we sing out. Thank you.